What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Tiffany Freeman on the episode today. Tiffany, I'm just going to get into it and throw it at you and let you start wherever you'd like with your story. Uh, hi. First of all, um, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate you giving me a voice and letting me tell my story. Absolutely. Um, but I, I guess I'll start with... Uh, my husband. We've been married for three years, almost three years. Uh, but we were together five years before that. And I kind of had a feeling all along that I might have infertility issues. Um, and so I didn't wait very long after we were married because um, the whole, not the whole time, but pretty much for a while that we were together, I had stopped my birth control and, you know, we weren't preventing, but we also weren't trying, but I never, um, there was never any kind of, you know, oh, maybe I'm pregnant type of deal. So I only waited a couple of months after we got married to make my appointment at the uh, fertility clinic. And we went through three rounds of Clomid, nothing. Three rounds of IUI, um, which is the artificial insemination, nothing. Um, So then we decided to move to IVF, um, which is not something we were thrilled about, but it was our only option. So we went ahead and moved forward with that. And I had my egg retrieval last summer. And we did a fresh transfer uh, for the first cycle. It was actually last July, so a year ago. We did the fresh transfer, which basically it never the embryo never gets frozen, and they just transfer it five days later. And we were told from the beginning that it, the odds of it taking were low, so we should not have high expectations, but we tried it anyway. It uh, didn't take at all. Um, Why did they tell you that it just, like, wasn't a good chance? Was there, like, a reason? Uh they they basically said that uh, because they need the frozen ones are aged a little bit longer and so the implantation will make it will make the implantation easier. Oh, interesting. They're, so they're uh, at least that's what what our clinic told us. Uh, I'm sure there are several reasons. We also didn't do the genetic testing right away, which is something that our um, doctor really encouraged us to do. But we were just we were hoping to leave something up to. <laughs> Mother Nature, you know, trying to keep something, a little piece of science out of it if we could. Yeah. But that did not end up happening uh, because uh, we, so that one didn't take in July, which, you know, we're like, okay. It, but I, I counted it as a miscarriage. They never called it that. Um, but there was a, there was a fertilized embryo put into my uterus. Yeah. So something had to have happened to it. But my first beta didn't even come back positive. So I don't really know what 
it was called. But to me, you know, it was still a loss. Yeah, um, that's still, your baby. Yeah, still disappointing. You know, an embryo just what what happened to it? So then we jumped back in pretty quickly into another cycle. And last December, I had um, my second transfer, and it was with a frozen embryo this time. And we still hadn't done the testing, you know, still hoping that we can just leave something up to chance. And on Christmas Eve, I had to call the line. That's something wonderful about IVF. You don't get an option as to when you want to find out news and things like that. So Christmas Eve, I find out that my beta is positive. My HCG was 15, but it was really low. So they told us to have cautious optimism. But it was Christmas Eve. We were spending time with the whole family, like both sides of our family. And I just couldn't help but at least telling the family, you know, hey, we've, we've gotten this far. And even though I was supposed to have cautious optimism, I still just was beside myself with excitement. So then I go in a week later and the beta or my HCG is lower. And so they call that a chemical miscarriage because I was only two weeks in. So that sucked. Um, just another another round of disappointments and and you know what to me feels like failure and having to start over. So we decided at that point to have the remaining embryos tested. Uh, we had seven or eight left at that point. Which, looking back now, that's a great number. Uh, I didn't realize at the time that that was a great amount. So we had them genetically tested. After the testing was done, we only ended up with two healthy ones. So that was really discouraging, going from eight to six, or eight to two uh, in a matter of two weeks. So we said, okay, let's, let's start for the, for, let's start again. And I asked if they would put in both embryos and they, did not want to just because of the chance of it splitting. Both of them could split and I would end up with quadruplets. So I had my third transfer in this past April. And lo and behold, my ACG came back high um, at 98. It kept doubling and tripling. I, I was pregnant. I was beside myself after two and a half years of fertility treatments and two and a half years of disappointments and, you know, we're sorry, buts, and I was finally pregnant. And I just, we were, there are no words really to describe how excited we were. And I honestly couldn't believe it. I was taking pregnancy tests probably once or twice a week because I just could not wrap my head around that this was really happening. (laughs) Um, it got even more exciting when we heard the heartbeat, um, excuse me, at six weeks, we got to hear the heartbeat. And at that point we were told that we had a 95% chance of success. So I, I actually felt myself, you know, that just feeling so guarded after so many years or so long of just you know, be careful. I I finally let my guard down and just let myself embrace that I was, that I was pregnant. This is happening. Two weeks later, I go in, uh, at eight weeks 
for my last ultrasound with the fertility clinic. Again, heard the heartbeat, saw her moving around in there. We already knew it was a girl because of the testing. Saw her moving around, saw her big old head and like her tiny little limbs and graduated from the fertility clinic, which just felt so amazing. And just, you know, knowing that I never had to go into that place again and just, just feeling just on top of the moon, just of excitement. So then we had a trip planned out west to go um, visit a couple of national parks. Um, so I, I already had a little baby bump, which I know was kind of early, uh, but they said, you know, some people just get it sooner than others. And I embraced it and we took photos of me at the parks with my little bump. And I told my husband, like, I never felt alone because I just always had her there with me already. Like I already just felt this amazing bond with her and we had our appointment with um, our OB the day after we get back from our trip. And on June 5th, I had never met this doctor before. And so I had to have my ultrasound. They wanted to get me in quickly because of the high risk with, um, cause I'm, I'm a little bit older. And then also because of all of my infertility issues, they wanted to go ahead and get me in. So they scheduled my ultrasound through a separate radiology group. It wasn't with the OB doctor. So I go in for that before my appointment with my OB and I immediately knew something was wrong when she pulled the screen towards her and wouldn't let me see it. Whereas at the clinic, you know, they they showed us the screen and showed her moving around and she, she wouldn't even let my husband see it. When he went towards the foot of the bed, she pulled it even closer. And I kept asking her, you know, is everything okay? You know, is, is she, do you see her? Is she moving? And she wouldn't say anything, nothing. And finally she was just stone cold, stone faced, nothing and finally she said your doctor will go over your ultrasound results with you when you see her and i immediately knew something was wrong uh I, me being a nurse i only say that to my patients when something's wrong <laughs> otherwise i you would give just, the good news right yeah. otherwise mm -hmm. oh all your tests came back great you know everything looks good no i knew i knew deep down um but i also couldn't let myself go there too too far just because until I did know for sure so I go upstairs to my OB we have to sit there for an hour in the waiting room for my appointment meanwhile all of these cute very pregnant women coming into the office sitting next to me around me just carefree you know not not a worry in the world. Whereas I'm sitting there just in a tizzy. I can, I can't even sit still. I'm fidgeting. I'm pacing just this gut feeling that something is wrong. And so we finally get called back and the OB doctor walks in and she said, I could tell immediately by her demeanor, she was not joyful and excited and Hey, I'm so-and-so. 
she says, so have they told you? And she saw the looks on our faces and realized that we didn't know. And she said, there is no heartbeat. And I just obviously started wailing right away. Um, I just kept saying, no, 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 that, no, that's not right, no. And I even recall asking for another ultrasound, you know, like, maybe she did it wrong. No, this can't be. I've worked so hard to get here. And uh, I just started wailing and my husband came over to try to console me. She stepped out and she gave us a few minutes. I don't even know how long it was for me to just cry and cry. And I just remember rocking back and forth on that table, just holding my head in my hands and just saying no over and over and just wailing. And then she comes back in however long it had been. I don't even know how long she had given us, but she comes back in and she says, you know, we can talk about options now, or I can call you over the phone and we can talk about them later since you know, you're obviously overwhelmed right now. And I said, no, I want to talk about them now. I knew immediately that I wanted a DNC. I, I didn't want to wait a week for the pill. I didn't want to go through that in my bathroom. I I just needed her out of there right away. I That was really hard for me, just the thought of her knowing that she's in there with no heartbeat and not alive, and I, I can't do anything about it. I just needed her out of there as soon as possible. And so luckily, this was on a Wednesday, um, Luckily, they were able to get me in two days later on a Friday. And the rest of that day is very foggy. Uh, the next couple of days are actually very foggy. I, I slept a lot. I cried a lot. Um, basically stayed in bed for those two days until my procedure on Friday morning. My husband was absolutely amazing. He took care of setting up my procedure he set it up to where I could do my pre-op stuff over the phone and I didn't have to go in. He took care of telling everyone. He told my boss. Um, he was absolutely just incredible for me those two days. And we go in for my DNC on Friday. And I, I was so upset um, that they had to give me um, something to calm me down because I, I just could not get control of my emotions. Um, just realizing that this is real. I think the reality was starting, was, was hitting me that morning. You know, signing your consent form, the IVs in your arm. Everyone's walks into the room is asking you, do you know why you're here? And it just hit me that this is really happening. Um, my baby girl is dead and they're taking her out of me and I have no choice in the matter. And something I want to go back to on 
Wednesday when they told me was how quickly the loneliness and the emptiness set in. Uh, I was obviously in in shock, um, but immediately I just felt this empty, gaping hole in my belly, knowing that she wasn't alive anymore. And it was just overwhelming. It was so overwhelming, and it still is some days. And it'll be seven weeks this coming Wednesday. And I, I just wasn't expecting that. Um, the just the loneliness of this whole journey, and um, you know, I woke up from my DNC on Friday, and or that Friday. Looked down at my flat tummy, and it was done. She was gone. Forever. And then starts a life of forever wondering what could have been. I should be 16 weeks pregnant right now. I was 10 weeks when I lost her. And... I'm still so lost. I just. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think everybody listening can completely relate to that feeling. Um, What, like, for me, when I was going through that, um, seeing pregnant women, seeing babies, seeing constantly being like reminded of like what I should have had or where I should be. Do you feel those too? Oh my goodness. That's an understatement of feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it, I actually still have, um, I mean, I, I expect to still have trouble with it because it's still pretty fresh. But yes, seeing babies, um, seeing women, you know, pushing strollers and it's, it's gut wrenching. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yes. And see, I, there are 10 pregnant women at work, 10 you can't really get away from it. It's no. like all, it's all over the place. Yeah. You can't. And that right there is exactly the reason why I isolated myself. There were a solid two to three weeks uh, where I did not leave the house. I couldn't. I couldn't mm-hmm. go out in public. I couldn't face any of those mm-hmm. triggers. I didn't want any of my friends around because none of them understood Mm-hmm. None of them have been through this before. Um, if they have, they didn't go through the two and a half years that I did to get to where they where I was. Um, nobody, no nobody was going to understand. It was going to be awkward. I didn't want to be around anyone. I completely mm-hmm. isolated myself. Yeah, which and- wasn't healthy, but. <laughs> It isn't isn't healthy, but it's understandable. Right. You know, um, what are you doing to kind of work through those things? Because I know that's something that so many of us struggle with. So, again, going back to my husband being so amazing, um, I lost her on June 5th. Well, I found out that I lost her. She had actually – she. Her gestational age was actually only eight weeks, um, by the way. 
she had died shortly after my last ultrasound, after I graduated from the fertility clinic. Um, within a few days, they said. And the reason that I didn't have any symptoms was because I was still taking the nightly progesterone shots and my hip muscle every night, which kept her viable. So that's why, I'd, I mean, it just was a complete shock. I never had any bleeding. I never had any cramping. I felt amazing on our trip. I had the pregnancy glow. I, it just, that's, it just completely blindsided me. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that people don't really realize too, is like, um, like moving forward, even like for me, I remember when I was taking progesterone and I, I would have a lot of anxiety that I wasn't going to know if I was miscarrying. Mm-hmm. And like what you just said kind of hit home with me because yep. it was like this, it, it stops you. I mean, not for everybody, but for me, it, it stopped me from bleeding. Um, and so taking that progesterone, it's like that then causes like this whole new anxiety too. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's exactly what kept her viable. And for two weeks, two weeks. Yeah. Um, but I lost her on June 5th or found out I lost her on June 5th. Um, June 7th was my DNC. And then that following Monday, my husband had me set up for an appointment with a psychiatrist on Monday and my counselor on Tuesday. (laughs) So at the time I was angry at him for that because I just wanted to wallow and totally didn't want to go out in public for reasons I've already mentioned. And, you know, just, um, sitting at a red light and seeing a car seat, you know, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, but looking back now, I am so thankful for him doing that because having those appointments set up right away, it didn't allow me to put it off the grieving process. It's, it forced me to start it right away. And I really feel like I'm doing as well as I am right now um, because I got such an early start on that. Um, I also was very fortunate that I got two weeks off of work afterwards um, because I, I mean, I just, I wasn't functional. There's no way I could have worked. And my boss was very understanding. Everyone at work has been amazing and very supportive um, throughout this whole journey. And I also, I had those two weeks to really focus on myself and focus on what happened and really process it. Granted, I didn't want to, but looking back now, it was really good for me to not be able to escape from it, if that makes sense. Yeah, for Um, sure. I was forced to feel what I needed to feel and forced to talk about it. So I still see my psychiatrist once a week and my counselor once a week, um, which are very helpful. I've started journaling, which I found to be very helpful. You know, there's something about getting your thoughts organized on a piece of paper that's really freeing. And and I it just a, flows. It just flows so much it's nicer for me than like talking. It's, it's weird. Yes, it does. It does. Um, and I also found a local support group. 
for other women who have experienced baby loss, whether it be um, stillbirth or, you know, shortly after they're born or premature babies or miscarriages, there is nothing like sitting in a room full of women who get it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's so powerful. And so they meet twice a month and I've been going to that. But what helped me out, um, the first thing that helped me out the most, ironically to me, was social media. Um, And I say ironic because I'm not a big social media person. Uh, I hardly ever post on my Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I mean, I just, I have them, but I don't ever use them really. And I don't know what compelled me to get on those forums, but that's how I found your podcast. And I started listening to them and it's so empowering just to hear other women talk about it Mm -hmm. and hear their journeys. And for, for me to talk about it, I just never, ever imagined that talking about it and sharing and listening to other people's stories would help me so much. It's, it's still kind of crazy to me that (laughs) that's what's been the most helpful. I completely agree. It's just so strange to me that, yeah. you know, because you want to retreat. Never, yeah, I would have never thought that either. But it's kind of like when you said that you are going to those, like the group meetings with like other women, it's almost the same thing, but virtual, you know? Right, right. And I just, it's also encouraging and inspiring because I'm still really, really struggling to find hope. Mm-hmm even with all this therapy and, you know, the, the coping mechanisms and things, I, I'm still really struggling to find that hope. And um, I read these other, uh, other women's stories on these accounts that I now follow. And, you know, their stories are worse than mine. They've had seven miscarriages. They've had three egg retrievals with no healthy embryos and, you know, the list goes on and they're just so positive and optimistic. And I just read them and I'm like, how I, I, I just, I still just feel so defeated and angry and discouraged. And I, I'm still really working on trying to pull myself out of that. Um, some days are better than others, of course, but when you're just constantly pounded with those triggers every single day, day in and day out, babies everywhere, pregnancy announcements everywhere. It's just so hard to overcome that for me. And But you're doing it. <laughs> One I? day at a time. You're Yes, you're doing it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like coming on here is doing it. You know what I mean? Like that's, one step forward and that's really all you can do is just keep taking those steps forward yeah you're doing it hope that the light gets brighter and the days get easier which they have they have mm-hmm. today I'll, I'll go ahead and be honest um to yesterday was a really bad day and today has been a bad day just emotionally you know for no reason at all like just I don't have to explain why <laughs> which is wonderful but 
so I'm kind of down today more than other days. You know, there's some days where I'm, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little hopeful and that, you know, I'm finding the reason as to that there is a reason as to why this is all happening. And I will have my rainbow baby one day, but then other days I just, it's exhausting to keep, keep at it, you know? Mm -hmm. So other days I just give in and, and say, you know, today I'm just going to feel sorry for myself and tomorrow will be a new day. Yeah. Yep. What are your, what's like your future plans? Like what's your steps moving forward? Do you have any right now? I don't. Um, that's a really good question. We still have one embryo left and I've actually spoken to my IVF nurse already just because I had a lot of questions as far as, you know, when and if I could move forward with the other embryo transfer and she's telling me, you know, take my time, of course, I need to be the healthiest me that I can be, but 50% of me is going to wonder the rest of my life, what if, if we don't try this last embryo? But the other 50% of me is terrified because I don't know if I can go through this again, Mm -hmm. especially knowing that, you know, it's not so easy for me to just get pregnant. I can't just try again. You know, It, it involves so much more than that for me. So I don't know if I could handle losing, losing that last one, you know? Yeah. So I haven't really let myself go there too much, um, but it's 50, 50 at this point. I mean, yeah. And part of, part of that maybe just because it's, you know, I, it is still so fresh, but. Absolutely. I mean, I I don't very, know. <laughs> very fresh, very fresh. Um, take your time. Like you said, you'll know when it's right. Um, I will say that fear doesn't go away, but I think working on yourself mentally to get to the point of, you know, whatever outcome, being able to handle whatever outcome comes from it, that's going to be the most important for you. But I just want to say thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story, especially because you're, you're having like one of those emotionally down days that we've all been on that roller coaster Mm -hmm. Um, right now, you know, you're having a day where you might be going down the hill, but showcasing that and showing other people that that's normal and that's okay. And that they're not alone. And if they're having that kind of day too, um, you know, you just made them feel so much better. So I just want to thank you for that. And just know that your, your story has a purpose and it's making a difference in this world, just like all the other stories that you've listened to and how they've helped you. Now yours is doing that for other people as well. So super cool of you. (laughs) If somebody did want to reach out to you, where could they do that? Uh, My Instagram is at TCS nurse. Awesome. And I will go ahead and I'll link that in the description of this episode. If you had one piece of advice for the listeners, what would it be? Hmm. Don't isolate yourself. Give your friends a chance and 
give yourself a chance. Yeah. I love that. Very important. And it's super easy to isolate. So (laughs) super easy. Uh, Thank you so much, Tiffany. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Take myself, take my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.